Welcome back to the Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast, where we will explore the local arts culture and community in the Lehigh Valley. We'll be doing this through conversations with individual artists, administrators, and organizations. We'll discuss all types of mediums with the goal of enriching local arts culture. Hello, and welcome back to Season 3 of Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast. I'm Ben. I'm Elise. And I'm Elizabeth. And we want to thank you for tuning in. We are so excited to share an all-new season with an amazing lineup of artists and creatives, as well as new projects, fun behind-the-scenes content, special guest-hosted episodes, and a new sub-series of the Arts Podcast soon to be announced. This week, we are delighted to have in the studio Hannah Errett. Hannah is a local artist and gallery owner who recently found herself back in the Lehigh Valley. She is a visual artist and self-proclaimed mudlarker with a master's degree in art from Fontbonne University. Currently living in Easton, Hannah is also the owner of Hemlock Art Space and Gallery. Hannah, thank you so much for joining us today. I am very excited to have you in the studio, and I'm glad that you agreed to do this. Of course! I'm excited. (laughs) Looking forward to this. Yeah, great. Is this your first podcast? Yes. Awesome. This is my first podcast and my first microphone speaking into situation and and everything. I'm excited. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for joining us. Of course. Um, I am really excited... uh, to talk about your work and talk about your gallery space. Mm -hmm. But I figured we could just start with a little bit like, where are you from? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I actually grew up in Carbon County in Palmerton and I went to school in Jim Thorpe at the Votech there. Met my husband in high school. I was 14, he was 15. He had blue hair and a bowl cut. Classic love story. Yeah. (laughs) And here we are a bazillion years later. But yeah, so started out there and then um, we moved around and did all the things and ended up back here. I went to Philadelphia University, which was University of Textile and Design. And I was there for marketing and I got really (laughs) jealous of my roommate who is a textile major and doing all kinds of like design courses and stuff and you know, my best friend was like doing these beautiful drawings and I'm there like in my accounting book. like. <laughs> and then during my Christmas break um, on Christmas Eve, my dad died and I made a very clear decision to stop what I was doing and like do what I love because I'm like, this isn't me. I'm not a marketing person. I don't belong in like a suit in a big city. <laughs> you know, so, um, yeah, that was kind of like my do art decision. I made a lot of changes in in my life and and career path and spiritual path and everything um, just from that one event. So that's kind of where I got started in really making a decision to be an artist. Nice. Were there any inclinations up to that point? Any art making before that? Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) So my my uncle's an artist. Um, He lives in Maine. Um, His name's Warren Selig. And um, my mom and dad... Um, we're both artists, um, and we just lived in a very artistic household. We have a, had a lot of beautiful art on the walls. My mom had a gorgeous studio, um, and that's sort of where I really remember first starting making like very intuitive art. Mm. So I'd go up to my mom's studio, and you know, sorry, mom, um, but I used <laughs> to go around and just like take stuff, and like she just had all these like really cool collections of things, and you know, as artists, it's like oh, I can use this to make art. That's what we do. And I and I inherited that from her. But I remember very specifically making these sculptures out of like floral wire and these old spindles and like all kinds of stuff and creating like, I made this bug and like this room scene and I was just very proud of it. And that was sort of like 
the beginning of me being like, okay, I like working with my hands and doing yeah. like this physical stuff. Right. Excuse me. <laughs> That's awesome. So what, how, <clears throat> let me start. Um, what drove you then towards a marketing degree? Um, pressure. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. You know, I, I think that when your kid comes to you and wants to be anything other than what you think they could be successful at, you kind of push them one way or the other. Um, my dad was really adamant about me getting a job that will make money and help me be successful and really ensure stability. Um, and I went along with it. I, I said, yeah, of course. Like, that sounds like what I should do. So um, when I was at Votech, um, I was in the culinary arts program. Mm -hmm. And I was also competing in Deco, which is like a marketing like competition, basically. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I did really well in that. So I'm like, you know, this could be what I could make money with because I'm not going to make it make money cooking, I'm being a chef. <laughs> so I was like, OK, I'm good at it. I can sell stuff to people. <laughs> Let's do it. No, totally so that's kind of like where where that even started. You know, if you're good at two things, art or the thing that's going to make you money, <laughs> choose that. So totally. that's kind of where it... Well, believe it or not, that is a very consistent theme yeah. on the Lehigh Valley Arts I podcast. believe it. I believe it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, because I, I had a full scholarship to go for culinary arts to Johnson & Wales, and I decided oh, wow. not to. And then I went to Philadelphia University for marketing, and then... Of course, because of the death of my father, I didn't return to Philadelphia, um, but I was able to go to Harrisburg Area Community College when I lived down there, Hack, mm -hmm. and I started out in environmental science <laughs> because I loved it because, you know, it was like a the global warming and saving yeah. the planet and the earth and like, you know, really being able to make a change. I was like really excited about it. I took one class and therefore was like, yes. <laughs> And I think I had that major for a total of like three days before I switched to art because I'm like, one, math, what, how much? And then I just decided that art is the way to go. And that was the best decision I ever made. Dude, Hack was like, the, the that was the place where my soul became like an artist. Mm. You know, I didn't have like the traditional trajectory path of like, you know, going to school, being a young kid and like doing the art stuff. Like yeah. I was a little bit older. I was like hand rolling my cigarettes and drinking black coffee <laughs> at like 10 o'clock at night at the studio <laughs> with music <laughs> at a hot shop. But yeah, it was, I, I like fully immersed myself and, and I did well, you know, I was yeah. like in the student shows, I was winning awards, I was getting accolades, I was like from an academic standpoint doing well. And I finally felt like I fit somewhere, like this just feels super right. Yeah. Like, and the community was great. I met some amazing people, some of my current mentors, um, Bob Troxell um, and Garrick Dorsett. Um, and Sean Williams were all really, like, very influential and also very supportive. So, like, I kind of got through it and really gained confidence in the fact that, yeah, I am an artist and might even be, like, good at this. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that was sort of a very formative moment. 
Absolutely. That's really exciting. I, I'm always curious because we've had like a flip flop back and forth as to whether like art school really did it for me or art school like really did not do it for me. Yeah. And a lot of people that ended up artists either way. But mm-hmm. I'm cool that you feel that that's really where you found your community and Absolutely. your space. You know, going forward as an as like the older I got, it, it was continuously harder and harder to find that, mm-hmm. you know, that space. And you just had to work a little bit harder. Um, I lived in Missouri for seven years in St. Louis. Um, and when I was there, it was really hard for me to find that community and have the same sort of passion place there, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> you grew up in Palmerton mm-hmm. area, mm-hmm. lived in Missouri for a little bit. Mm-hmm. You talked about Going to China. China, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I went to China um, through Hack, actually. So it was an advanced ceramics course, and I was there for three weeks um, studying in Jingdezhen and uh, Shanghai. Um, And again, transformed the way I thought about things, um, the way I saw art, the way I made art. I met some amazing artists while I was there and continued to stay in touch with them and uh, learned more about porcelain than I ever thought I would. Uh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, it, it was amazing. And I, I'd go back in a heartbeat. The plane ride sucks, but I'd go back in a heartbeat. <laughs> That's cool. So when when along this path did you end up in Easton, Pennsylvania? I got my undergrad at Fompon University mm-hmm. in St. Louis. And after that, I was looking for a job in art, which I found some things and it was like, whatever. But it turns out that the... Um, administrative assistant for the fine arts department for Fanban was retiring. Hmm. Just in luck when, you know, just when I needed a job. What luck. How peculiar. Yeah. So um, I ended up taking that position and I was there for a few years. Um, and that position quickly turned into me being able to get my graduate degree mm-hmm. for free because I worked there. Which hey, is pretty, we love that. Yeah, yeah I'll <laughs> take it. Um, and I also was the assistant gallery director um, and I ended up teaching adjunct there as well. Oh, cool. So that sort of like formed like a very academic base for me mm-hmm. um, as to what I do and what I like to do. So as the assistant gallery director, I mean, I was pretty much doing what I'm doing now minus the actual curation. Mm-hmm. So I love it. I love doing it. I loved um, doing it then and now. Um, and when COVID hit, we were able to make the decision to um, come back home. My husband's job was open to um, him working remotely and I was teaching online. So it was a pretty simple decision. You know, all of our family is here. I have a five-year-old son and we're like, let's go back home. In looking around, we're like trying to find where a good place with the intention of knowing that I wanted to open my own gallery. Right, right. Um, We were looking places to go, um, affordable, et cetera. And all of our friends were like mentioning that Easton was like really cool. We're like, there's art and good restaurants and, you know, interesting places to look at and, you know, be. So, um, yeah, the, we decided to settle here. We moved into the Silk Mill Apartments nice. and um, immediately had a giant snowstorm and immediately we all got COVID. And then, <laughs> yeah, so that's how we ended up back here. <laughs> yeah. So here I am. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. 
That's cool. I wanted to go back to um, talk sure. a little bit about Fontbon. Yeah. Because um, I, so I also, strangely, ironically enough, and I didn't know this about you until you came in, work in, an, in a higher ed yeah. art setting. Yeah. Um, and I'm curious, like, having your own gallery space mm-hmm. and being an artist yourself, like, how does that, like, hyper-academic setting for art making and art practices and curatorial practice mm-hmm. kind of shape your view of um, community arts. I own Hemlock Art Space and Gallery in <laughs> Easton, Pennsylvania. <laughs> so that's what the gallery we're talking about. Um, <laughs> P.S. Um, but part of my mission there was to um, encourage and highlight marginalized artists and emerging artists mm-hmm. and outsider artists. So one thing that I really noticed with um, the students that I was working with, the art students, it's hard to find a place that you feel community and feel belonging and feel like you're accepted and that, you know, be in a space without having to be this big fancy artist, Mm. right? And working, because I worked at the galleries at Hack as well. Mm -hmm. And what I learned is this the process of getting into a gallery and doing this is not only an intense one, but it's also very scary. Like it's something that students, you know, find intimidating. Like mm -hmm. what if I'm not good enough or whatever? And I wanted to really make a space that was comfortable with that. From the academic standpoint, uh, Fontbonne was a Catholic university Mm -hmm. and a figurative art program. Okay. So there were oftentimes a lot of monotony in in it because it's like, okay, cool. Another nude figure. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) So what I learned really was, you know, to be more accepting and understanding of the work that went into people's academic wise, the work that went into people's pieces into their work and everything. It kind of, it informed the way that I see other people's work and informed the way that I maybe interact with, some people who are emerging artists. Sure. Art, the the barrier yeah. to art is so high in any capacity in to art history, to yeah. being an artist, to like any sort of professional gallery space, mm-hmm. curatorial, anything. Um, and I think in an educational setting, it's much more of like a Petri dish kind of vibe, yeah. but not everyone gets that. Right. So it's cool to see someone go from like that hyper academic um, setting to yeah. like, I want to support these artists that right. are figuring it out and right. kind of on the brink of like what is normalized in this community. Totally. And that definitely ties back to what you're saying about like finding a space and finding a community as an artist. Right. And that was part of a huge part of why Hemlock, I think, has been successful because the whole point of my space is to feel comfortable You know, I think that art should be accessible and affordable. And I think that young curators and young art collectors want that. And I find that a lot of people just have this connection to art when they don't feel like they have to know about it, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. You know, I had the honor and the privilege to be able to get that education, learn the lexicon of, you know, (laughs) of art, you know, I know how to talk about art, like every other, you know, critique, whatever, you know, the the juxtaposition of the forms of, you know, whatever, (laughs) you know, I, I, I can schlop that stuff out, whatever. But I, 
I wanted to create a space where people could feel like they'd be like, dude, I really like this orangey kind of color over here. And I yeah. just like the way that this makes me feel. Because I'm not a pretentious person, I don't think. Um, and <laughs> my gallery is not, you know, this pretentious place that really came from trying to make it a comfortable place for emerging artists. Right. To not feel like they're trying be, being expected to be like in this New York gallery that, you know, you have to know dealers and, you know whatever right you know, right schmancy art stuff yeah you know? absolutely we serve cheetos Ooh, we serve <laughs> cheetos and like m&ms at the receptions you know we're not sometimes sometimes <laughs> it's pretty fancy but you know i'm not trying to make anything unachievable accessible and most of my work has been um specifically focused on like disability access mm -hmm. but i'm like super appreciative and into this like access with a capital a right when it comes to art and talking about yeah. like exactly what you're saying this idea that you don't have to have this super hyper academic mm -hmm. knowledge-based framework to enjoy art right. like it's not that's not necessarily there are periods in history where that's was right. true and that's why right. art was made but it art is for the masses right like absolutely it's it's this thing that is made to be enjoyed by people who yeah. are usually yeah. on the edges of society. oh absolutely yeah and and you'd be surprised how many people that have flat out said like i'm not really into art but i like this mm -hmm. and i think that naturally for humans we we like things we like seeing things you know we like things that look nice we like things that make us think we make things me personally I like things that tend to be ugly or tend to be seen as like unappealing or unattractive or strange or uncomfortable. I like that. And other people do too. They just may not have like the vocabulary to like say it or know sure. it, but people like art. And sometimes they don't realize it until they walk into this weird ass little gallery, <laughs> you know, downtown East and they're like, Oh, this is weird, but I like it. Yeah. You know? So that's part of the accessibility to create young art collectors who are buying art, not because they're, you know, again, some in some academic world or they understand this or that, or they're, you know, on wealthy, you know, you don't have to be wealthy to enjoy and love and even purchase art, mm -hmm. you know? And that's again, what I really wanted to showcase and make sure that everyone had something to look at that they liked you know yeah and if they took it home even better yeah you know but absolutely. i tried to even make make work affordable you know i i i'm not showing twenty thousand dollar paintings in right. there you know even right now we have some paintings that are up but there are smaller ones that the artist made that are more affordable that you can take just right then and there and mm -hmm. start your little tiny collection it's important yeah that's so cool. I um, We had one artist on, when they came in here for their interview, they were saying, mm -hmm. like, what does your art collection look like? And yeah. I was like, I'm 24 years old. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't own anything. And they're like, no, I'm sure that you do. Yeah. Like, what does your art collection look like? Yeah. And I was like, uh, well, I have this print by this guy. Mm -hmm. And they're like, perfect. There you and, go. <laughs> and like, oh, I own this mug that someone gave me. And they're like, that's, mm -hmm. that's part of it. And it's no one ever in throughout my education or throughout my like experience, just enjoying art as a kid or mm -hmm. as a young adult, like no one 
impressed any importance upon right. owning my artwork, owning any artwork, because it wasn't yeah. something I ever thought was like within the realm of what I could afford. Absolutely. Absolutely. Buying those little prints or even cards that, you know, greeting cards that people mm -hmm. make, that's their artwork on the front. They made that and enjoyed it. You know, some of the stuff that I make more functional wear, that's art. And um, we can get into like the discussion of like what art is, but I'm not going to do that because, you know, it's fighting words sometimes. But uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I um, I really like to challenge people as to what art is. And I also like to challenge them in, in trying to understand that even though they don't like it, that doesn't mean it's not art. And even right. though they can't connect to it, it doesn't mean it's not art. It just means you don't like it. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. There's lots of art that I don't like. There's lots of art that I just find like whatever. But that doesn't make it not art. Right. It's art. And it just, I don't like it. And that's <laughs> fine. And that's totally fine. But like, you know, the, the big takeaway is that it's still art. And how can we broaden that? And I I'll talk to my students a lot about that because I, I taught art appreciation mm -hmm. to um, mostly freshman college kids who were not art majors. So to be able to try to explain that you don't like it and you don't get it, but you basically don't have the right, you know, to, to say that it's not art. So, um, yeah, tangent is that, but, <laughs> you know, same, but same with, with pieces in my gallery. I mean, every single piece that I chose in the retail section of my gallery was handmade by a person you know it was completely crafted and and like designed and made by an artist all of the artists that i had in that area in that retail area were female and non-binary artists mm -hmm. so you know i was supporting a whole other level of human artists within that space too right but you know cups and um, sketchbooks and my little teapots. And, you know, it's not just a traditional, like, painting on a wall all the time. Right. I'm, I'm deep in conversation at work about, like, uh, materiality and, mm -hmm. like, um, craft as art. Yes. And I yes. think that transitioned super well into the artwork that you shared. Mm -hmm. um, but, like, how how does materiality impact whether someone see something as art or whether it's like normalized or generally accepted as fine art right. things like quilting and embroidery and mm -hmm. ceramics and anything in between yeah um and i think it's such a an important conversation because yeah. I, art takes so many forms in terms of like is it the expression like someone's right. expression or is it art and people right. don't always like connect those two things yeah totally yeah. I, like you said like there's a difference between thinking something is art but then also say, just saying like you don't like it right yeah. <laughs> for the sake of not liking it but that it's, doesn't make it not art right exactly <laughs> <laughs> exactly i think it's hard because a lot of the time like people who don't have the time or space to mm -hmm. really dig into something only have the framework of what has been shown to them like exactly yeah here this is fine art and then you're like okay sure that's fine <laughs> art and then <laughs> yes. if you have the time and ability and the mm -hmm. privilege to be able to dig into right, it it's right. like oh there are so there many more, more layers to this there's more yeah. so i appreciate that your gallery space specifically like yeah demonstrates that in such a low barrier way because mm -hmm. you're offering this space and 
the first thing that comes to mind talking about this is the first time I was in your gallery, mm-hmm. the labels were like paper push pinned onto the wall. Yep. And mm-hmm. I was like, cool. And then there was a piece that was sold and it was written with yep. pencil on, on the, the wall. wall. Sold. Yep. I was like, this is the best thing I've yeah. ever seen. <laughs> yeah. I-, I wanted to create a space that was like just kind of what I imagine I would do like in my own studio, like putting stuff on the wall. And um, I have a vintage typewriter. I type all of the labels out. Mm. Like it was just, it's just honest, authentic. And I wanted it to kind of be a space where you could just imagine yourself and like, I don't know, some just cool building that you just like found and like, you just kind of use the stuff that was around (laughs) to like do what you did, you know, because I went through all of the nice, beautiful, like printed sticker labels and the professional this and that, which is great. But I think that just speaks to my view on art and how natural it can be and how like just normalized it can be. Mm -hmm. You know, my first show that I had, um, Elizabeth uh, Sheck Lambert, um, she had so many photographs, like these big cloud photograph images um, you can probably see some on um, my Instagram, some pictures of it. But I had uh, 500 of those little map pins, and mm. I had like seven left at the end of that show. <laughs> my thumb hurt so bad. But like, that's the kind of just like, that's how they went up. Yeah. You know, that's just sort of like, it was just a natural, what I had laying around kind of vibe, mm-hmm. you know? And I think something as small as that, and I, I appreciate that you noticed, um, but something <laughs> as small as that takes away a little of that, like, fear of, of you know, that that feeling that you're in, like, the stuffy gallery and you're not going to be able to relate to it. Mm-hmm. it, to, it little things like that yeah. take it away. It's like your bedroom wall. Like. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. It was. It's just raw and authentic. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask a little bit about the inspiration for um, some of the like programmatic and community based mm-hmm. stuff that you do at sure. Hemlock because um, you have like some great programming <laughs> yeah. um, and some really cool workshops and stuff. Thank so you. yeah, I, I was really hoping that I'd be able to do more. Um, when I started, my hope was that I would have all these drink and draws, you know, every other week and these movies and great workshops and everything. And I did some of them and it worked out fine until it didn't. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So unfortunately, I kind of had to move away from some of that stuff. I found that the interest just wasn't there when I was ready to do it. Mm. So as it went on. I would just have a couple here and there and it just got to be too much for me. Yeah. I mean, it was, I was planning and doing all these things. And then with low attendance, it wasn't, it was just starting. So I put it aside and said, okay, I'm going to try this again later because right now it's just not going to work. But I had like successful drink and draws and that was a lot of fun. And our receptions and um, Easton has a uh, Easton out loud sort of, um, music, citywide music uh, based, I think it's usually music based, especially in the summertime. Um, and, you know, I had like a lot of really great events doing that and everything. Um, I do look forward to doing more workshops in the future. Good. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to like... No, <laughs> that's good. I, I really appreciate like your transparency with that because I yeah. think like on the, on the flip side of this, like 
being a, the owner of a, you're yeah. the owner of a small business, like yeah. at the root, that's what it is. Yeah. And it's important to see that side of it, like that yeah. there are periods of where you have this great idea and you're really excited right. about it and you're ready to do it. And uh, yeah, it just doesn't, it doesn't work out. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. And, you know, it evolved into something else. You know, I was doing a little bit more retail than I had initially, you know, expected to. Mm. The main gallery is the heart and soul of the place, you mm -hmm. know, so um, I still consider myself an art space because you can come in no matter what your level of art appreciation is or mm -hmm. understanding is and find a place to make and create and be, you know? Um, so though the, though the intentions were different in the beginning, it still worked out to be exactly what needed to happen. Right. In addition to this wonderful art space and gallery mm -hmm. that you own, you are a visual artist yourself. I am. And I'd love to talk a little bit about your work sure. and your background. Um, so I'm curious, You in your bio, you shared that you have a master's degree mm -hmm. from Fontbonne. Yes. <laughs> Fancy. So what was your, um, do you call it a tr like a track program? <laughs> in a master's degree? What was your uh, track? <laughs> well, it was interesting, um, <laughs> to say the least. So I went to grad school while I was working obviously at the university mm -hmm. um five or at the time a three and four year old son and a husband who was away all the time and like five hundred thousand other things going on so um to say the least it was stressful but in a way that was motivating um because the per th who i am i don't know if it's my sagittarianness or what but like I don't care what it takes. I'm just going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it. And no one can tell me no. I had the priv privilege of being able to kind of create my own program a little bit hmm. because I'm a sculptor. I, I consider myself a 3D artist, but there really wasn't anything at the school that was fitting my style and fitting my aesthetic and fitting my personal idea of who I am as an artist. The sculpture program is amazing, but it was a very straightforward, figurative clay program. Right. It didn't, didn't really stray too much off of that. Mm -hmm. So I was lucky enough to be able to work with a professor, um, Tony Borchardt, who um, helped me kind of create my own degree, basically. I think it reads something like studio sculpture, um, but it was heavy in ceramics. But I was also doing art history, um, which is a huge passion of mine. I love art history. I had the best art history um, professor and now friend, uh, Kevin Wilson. Hey, Kevin. Um, <laughs> but um, he's, he's not in the room or anything. <laughs> are you sure? Oh, God. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah we we shared a lot of like kind of weird and macabre you know personality traits <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> but anyway but yeah so i was able to create this program where i was diving into different types of sculptural elements um because i do mixed media work and my work tends to be um have lots of different uh media to it i basically said these are all the things i want to learn <laughs> So I uh, learned how to weld. Uh, I learned um, how to do castings. I did the ceramics, woodworking. I, I encompassed all of this mm -hmm. together. Um, and that along with 
um, my other professors drawing, um, et cetera, I was able to dictate my own pathway as to what I was making. Mm -hmm. So for example, in a drawing class, where everyone may be just drawing. I was, you know, slapping like pieces of mud on the paper <laughs> and like using tea and coffee and wax and, you know, all kinds of stuff, cutting it up and, you know, putting it on a panel board. So I was able to really kind of branch out and really do my thing, which I think is the best part about grad school in general is to finally be able to like make what you just want to make and what feels right out of like that super strict academic, like you must know this before, you know, mm -hmm. what every professor says, you must know how to do it right before you can do it, you know, your mm -hmm. own way kind of thing. Which again, as my Sagittarius self, I was like, no, I want to do it my way the whole way. That's not fair. You're wrong. <sighs> I don't like, yeah, anyway, that's a personality trait that uh, sometimes I'm not too proud of, but um. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it was really great being able to kind of mold it to to my own interests. Mm -hmm. And by the end of it, I was mostly focused on the ceramic part of it and my um, bundles, mm -hmm. which um, were part of my thesis, my uh, bundles of disorder. And you shared a photo of one for yes. one of our discussion pieces for today. Mm -hmm. So if now's a good time, I'll jump into our audio description of that. Yeah. Okay. And if you are new to the Lehigh Valley Arts podcast, for our visual arts guests, we like to share an audio description of their work. Audio description is a service that uh, is primarily in service of people who are blind and low vision, um, but really serves a really wide community of artists and art lovers. So you're, uh, from your Bundles of Disorder body of work titled Recovering from Religion, the medium is mixed media slash ceramic found object. This sculpted clay piece is a figurative sculptural piece roughly molded with a figure in the center. An oval-like amorphous shape hovers behind the figure, similar to the apse of a dome in a large church. The clay is dark gray, roughly molded, having dried differently throughout. In the rough, unfinished texture, we can see divots and fingerprints where it was molded and shaped by the artist. In the center, in a much lighter white clay, is a figure, arms outstretched, suspended with palms out. Its head leans to one side and the rest of the body appears limp. The figure has no face or specifically defining features, save for two rounded breasts, broad shoulders, and a disproportionately narrow waist. The figure's feet and legs are together and bound by a natural colored string that wraps around up through the waist. Behind the figure's legs, we can see a small bundle of sticks and straw. From the bundle emerges a piece of white beaded rosary that rests below the figure's feet. That sounds so fancy. <laughs> I literally, like, if I were to describe it, okay, I just took some clay and I smushed my fingers in it until it made, like, the right shape that I wanted. And then I put, you know, whatever I felt like putting in the middle. <laughs> no. Yeah, no, I, I it, yeah, I, if, if I ever go back or need someone to write um, descriptions of my work. You're hired. Oh, please. I'm here. <laughs> this is, this really is a beautiful piece. And yeah. I don't, um, I use the word apps and yeah. I was trying to like in my brain and I don't want to interpret too much on your behalf, um, but I do like to interpret. So maybe yeah. I will. <laughs> no, please do. I always love um, to hear it. But like when you think specifically of like the Virgin Mary statue in right. some someone's yard. Mm -hmm. um, that kind of like shelled dome yes. that rests behind her, yes. kind of encompassing her, is that like 
when I say apps, like A-P-S-E, that kind of shape yes. um, is visually what I'm trying to communicate to listeners. <laughs> um, so I'm curious if you if you find that as an apt description. Of, yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of what I was going for. Um, sort of um, the Catholic Church especially is very much known for their um, ornate, very ornate and um, sometimes kind of creepy, um, you know, all the reliquary stuff and yes. like, yes, yes. you know, um, Especially their statuary tends to be in that same sort of domed, um, concave shelf. <laughs> yeah, no, that like very like the saint shelf, you know, like emphasized, focused, yeah. iconoclastic. Yeah, like, yeah absolutely, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And that's that's this piece um, that we're speaking about right now, recovering from a relig- religion, is the only of the pieces that is. Um, stands on its own and is in that shape Mm. um, for that reason. But all of the other pieces that are mounted with the clay back Mm -hmm. have a similar rounded and kind of encapsulating sort of shape. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is representative of the idea of being held, the idea of being contained and surrounded um, and, um, kind of on on display Mm -hmm. served on a platter is something I think that I Mm -hmm. used a lot the idea of me serving a lot of these traumas and um, disorders and everything literally on a platter Mm -hmm. so they kind of have two meetings in that way but this one in particular not only is me serving that on a platter but kind of giving it that religious you know icon kind of feeling right to it right yeah i tried not to say in my description because the idea behind it is to describe it non-biased but now right. we're in the interpretive part. right <laughs> um it's it's in, totally indicative of like crucifixion yeah. kind of uh body yes layout um yes but the figure specifically mm-hmm. portrays a little feminine yeah, so um, <laughs> I'm sorry if this is going to like burst everybody's um, bubble about me, but um, that's garbage. <laughs> it's literally garbage that I found um, and was inspired by it with other um, pieces. So that's a lot of what I find. Everything that I find mm-hmm. is found by me. Um, I call it crow curation. It's literally <laughs> me being a little crow. And um, I love mudlarking and beachcombing and just... Um, picking up responsibly in the forests. Um, <laughs> sorry, my sister is an environmental, uh, or she's in environmental education, so. I, I like picking up responsibly. Yes. picking it up responsibly, you know, leave no trace. <clears throat> You're welcome, Mary. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, so everything that are in these bundles have been curated in a way mm-hmm. um, from the many, many things that I pick up. And I was just mentioning earlier how I have in my center console, my car, <laughs> like the most random little plastic, you know, bits and bobs and little things that I find um, just because they look like they'd be great in a PS one day. So um, again, kind of got that from my mom. But this piece in particular, um, I found in the garbage can at Fontbon. <laughs> um, you know, a Catholic university has, you know, such things in garbage cans. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but the other pieces um, were found and bound with the uh, bundle, mm-hmm. which um, the bundle itself holds lots of meaning um, 
And if I were to read my thesis paper to you, it'd be very long-winded, but oh, basically... Let's do that someday. <laughs> yes, please. Yeah. <laughs> um, lots and lots of um, description. But um, so on most of my pieces, you'll find that the bundles are made of sticks and sometimes there'll be other long stick-like pieces mm -hmm. um, within it. And those are all from my forest that <laughs> we had in... Yeah, my forest in Missouri, um, the woods behind our house. Um <laughs> And so we're kind of representative of my home and the bundling of sticks, like the act of that was um, the idea of feeling bound and feeling tightly wound. And all of these things kind of put together in one package, um, no matter what I was portraying. Um, the outside of most of these, not this one really, but um, most of the other ones are wrapped in dress patterns mm. that I wrote messages on the inside pertaining to whatever um, whatever the theme was of the particular piece. Um, and I used that along with lots of um, glue paste and things to um, wrap that up around the sticks. Um, in some of them, I included um, some corn husks, some raffia, some straight up straw grass um, to kind of create um, some bulk in the middle. Mm -hmm. And then I bound that all with string. Um, and the dress patterns really just represented the idea of a dress pattern being very um, specific. When you're done, it looks like what it looks like kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So that among so many other things, <laughs> is kind of what goes into a bundle. Um, this one in particular um, is called Recovering from Religion. And like I talked about earlier, um, when my dad died, I had a lot of aha moments. One being, I'm not going to stick my head in an accounting book for my whole life. I need to be an artist and I'm not going to do anything that's going to make me unhappy. Like, if I can help it, like, I'm not going to put myself in that position. But also, it really made me think about my religion and what my spirituality would look like and what I really believed in and if it was for me or not for me. And um, through the years, I found that there were so many things that I explained away with religion. Mm -hmm. um, it's easy to explain away pain and hurt and trauma and feelings when there's like this bucket of of explanations it's it's in someone else's hands mm -hmm. um and when you feel like you're not in those hands anymore it gets scary and all of a sudden you have to like care for your own mental health and and all of a sudden like that burden's put back on you when you were always taught to put the burden someplace else so this one is sort of my recovery in trying to find a way to be more self-sufficient in my own body, in my own mind. So um, this one relates to the um, recovering from religion. Mm -hmm. But others talk about everything from anxiety to eating disorders to um, borderline personality disorder to depression um, and how it feels to be depressed or any of those. I have one that was one of my favorites called um, Treading Water or Head Above Water. And it's literally a visual representation of how it how I feel when incredibly depressed 
and literally just feel like I'm just making it through. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like I keep drowning and bobbing. And the only thing that's keeping me going is my sheer love of art, you know, and my kid and husband and family and all that stuff too. (laughs) But um, so each piece was very specific to that. Um, I did a series, a series of three that were all about the medicine that one takes when trying, you know, when working on their mental health. So Mm -hmm. um, there was one that talked about, um, how the medicine made me clench my jaw. Another one where um, I talked about um, old remedies or natural remedies. So, you know, the the idea of being healed by, you know, going for a hike and taking some St. John's wort, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, and, you know, talking about not being able to sleep or sleeping too much and um, a very wide variety and everything directly relates to me or my family. Mm-hmm. So things that I dealt with personally I put a lot of time and effort and thought into the items that were being put into there. Mm -hmm. Um, So um, for a visual reference, you may find this bundle that has a small flask and some ornaments attached to it, letters, wax seals, um, keys. These objects all relate back to the subject matter Mm -hmm. of the piece and I, I have one that, um, again, they're all my favorite. What am I talking about? I love all of them. <laughs> um, but um, it was purchased recently, actually. It was called Social Anxiety. Mm-hmm. And it was the tiniest little piece. I always put it off in the corner when I was showing it, you know, to kind of like, you know, really get that social anxiety. And, and you know, it had a birthday uh, cake marker in it and a prickly little um, 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 echinacea uh, flower dried mm-hmm. echinacea flower you know and i can't tell you how many people are like oh my god yeah social anxiety that may that's what that looks like i get it <laughs> like i understand and and it was really amazing and then i started adding these um discs uh, and they were just a ceramic disc um in the same dark colored clay the black clay mm-hmm. and I painted static on them. So I used an underglaze and basically made these brush strokes and sometimes carved into them to make a static. And they were called static discs. And those represented that brain fog, that fuzz. So they were um, displayed. And again, if you look on my website, you'll be able to see some of these bigger displays. Um, But these discs were displaying that brain frog, that static, that that feeling of like so much going on in your head, but it's nothing at the same time. Mm-hmm. So like all of these are super personal and super real. And I got so much comfort in how many people were like, yes, that is exactly, <laughs> yes, you made art that described how I deal with or I see my depression or right. I see my anxiety. This is it. This is my brain on art. Mm-hmm. That's really powerful. <laughs> yeah, it was to it was a lot. <laughs> yeah to like have that personified. Yeah, for someone else, and then for them to communicate that yeah. to you too. Yeah, it it was heavy. It was it was a heavy time. It was for me. It was very emotionally and mentally taxing mm-hmm. to have to create these. You know, you're tapping into a really dark place, and I actually ended up making. Um, 
and it's called my self-care series mm-hmm. um, for a lot of reasons. But um, I started making teeny tiny teapots. Mm. So these teapots were all under five inches. I think the smallest one was like maybe two inches tall um, in a similar fashion of my other work. Um, these tiny teapots, I think I made like 45, oh I, I <laughs> yeah, lots of them. And I did them between making the bundles. And they were my self-care. I found incredible joy making them. They were cute. Uh, They were brightly, um, I still have some in in the gallery. (laughs) They're um, (laughs) brightly decorated with glaze and decals. And not only were they my getaway from those really dark pieces, Mm -hmm. but they represent everything about self-care. The warm teapot, the tea, the um, the size just makes you happy. You know, it's just, <laughs> they encompassed a very happy place mm-hmm. in juxtaposition to my very dark work. <laughs> Sorry, I always feel like a fancy art lady when I say that. It's like, oh, oh. That's like, that's my fancy art lady word. So... <laughs> But yeah, so like, so that dictated um, a lot of my work outside uh, of my academic work and more into my functional wear, this idea of these tiny, cute little things and brightly color uh, or brightly glazed, brightly colored, small, oftentimes pieces Mm -hmm. of functional wear. This bundles is a, it's a body of work. Yeah. And this like functional wear is a body of work. Yeah. Um, but as I hear you kind of describe like the transition into this, and I'm not exactly sure how big, like what the size is of the piece that you shared. The, um, the um, jug. Oh, the jug. Mm-hmm. That one's probably, it's probably about five inches. Most of the things that I was making at that time and plan on continuing to make, um, mm-hmm. is, is small. Um, I made so that the jug that we'll be looking at is probably about five, five or six inches. Um, there's a cork, so maybe that kind of adds a little, you know, mm. it's like putting a hat on. Um, but yeah, same with the teapots. Everything was yeah. under five, five, six inches. Interesting. I was curious about um, like almost the irony of calling something functional wear yeah. um, and it being of a. Yeah dysfunctional size maybe. of course yeah <laughs> um yeah but i can we can describe it first and then get into that sure yeah <laughs> um but this is titled stoneware jug from your functional wear body of work and the medium is stoneware specifically speckled turtle clay this small stoneware jug with has a rust colored bottom the top half of the jug is dipped in a white speckly glaze a rounded handle emerges from the top part of the jug and fingerprint indents shape the entirety of it a lot of that functional wear was inspired by the teapots because technically mm-hmm. those little teapots are functional ah. some of them hold maybe like three tablespoons of liquid <laughs> but the function is is you can like actually pour liquid from it mm-hmm. you know so um i tend to describe functional wear as something that if you wanted to <laughs> you could so that little jug um could very well um be a, a little vase mm-hmm. a little bud vase or you could put milk in that use it as a creamer you could um you know fill that with a uh, a syrup of some sort it would be a heck of a time cleaning it but you know dishwasher safe um <laughs> but um i started making these little things um and 
part of it, especially the the um, less academic side of it, when I was just sort of making things for myself and for fun, mm-hmm. was inspired by my son. I have, you know, a little boy and I would make him tiny little cups and teapots and plates and stuff. And he would play, you know, play with those. But um, also I started making these tiny bud vases that sort of looked like crooked witch's fingers, kind <laughs> of, you know, they were just, um, again, on my website. Um, if you want to see some <laughs> pictures of those. And I would, you know... Uh, glaze them in like pink and turquoise and I made one that was probably about an inch tall super super tiny specifically because my kid always gave me like a single clover that he picked for me (laughs) and like when they're little and they want to make sure that you keep it and you know most of the time you just throw it over your full shoulder and you're like whatever kid you'll just forget about it but I was like you know what why not make a little place for this? You know, because it's such a precious thing. You know, when they have this one sweet little gift that they give you and it has a little home and a tiny little teeny tiny little vase with a drop of water and it just makes it feel special and it's a little memento and it's just a way of kind of appreciating life, you know? And so I started making these little bud vases Mm -hmm. um, and I personally think they're adorable as heck (laughs) adorable af i mean like really um and i am looking forward to making more of those yeah um in the future i love the story with the clover i think that's very uh effective demonstration of your work um but like that word functionality i know we talked earlier um about like materiality and like fine art and how it kind of all ties together this word functionality as like um, does art have to serve a function? <laughs> right. right. Do, in our in the society we live in now, like does art right. does something being made have to be made for function or can it be made because that is the function, is the practice right. of making it, the person who's making it, what they're making right. it for, and how the person enjoying it interprets it. Like right. all of that is part of its quote quote function. Right. So, like, what is function? Right. You know? What is art? What right. is function? <laughs> exactly. What, you know, because function is, like, it can do a thing. Mm-hmm. Right? It can effectively do a thing. Mm-hmm. So, for example, like, those little teapots, it can effectively do a thing. You can put water in and pour. Some of mm-hmm. them, the tops don't open. But are they still functional? Mm-hmm. Are they still functional as a paperweight? Are they still <laughs> functional as a piece of art? You know, I'm I'm not an artist who does large quantity stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not a quantity maker. Um, there are amazing artists out there who can make, you know, five cups in a minute. And that's amazing. And they all look exactly the same. Uh, production pottery is something to be respected. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a lot easier to explain the function of a cup. Sure, yeah. You know, it's it's easy to, you know, say this is a cup and its main purpose is to hold liquid, most likely for you to consume. Mm-hmm. But when you get into these little jugs and you kind of question the function of them or these little vases, like, okay, they're functional, but not really. Um, it kind of just reminds me of, you know, I'm, this is like a super like basic art girl or whatever, but like the whole idea of like Dadaism and like, you know, Marcel Duchamp making something that's like has absolutely no 
function right. or purpose. Exactly. It's there and it's kind of there to kind of like push the boundaries. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying I'm like this amazing artist that's like pushing the boundaries of what functional <laughs> wear is because like, you know. I mean, your drug definitely doesn't look like a urinal. So. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. I mean, <laughs> but you know, it could if and it would know, serve a function if you needed it. <laughs> oh, that would be it. That is my next thing. I'm oh. making ceramic urinals for women because, oh. like, it's like one of those like what are they called the go girls? So a go girl is like a silicone funnel. Uh-huh. So women can oh. like pee in the woods. I see. Interesting. Standing. You could definitely make a ceramic version <laughs> right. of that. Yeah. <laughs> I could. I might. Would it be functional? <laughs> I mean, again, would it? <laughs> like, sure. Um, you could sure urinate <laughs> in and have your urine flow from it. Probably. <laughs> Is it is it going to be clean? Is it going to be um, easy to use? Is it going to be easy to carry? No. If you drop it in the woods, I get screwed. Yes. I was more thinking of the like. I wonder how I would pack that in my pack. If- yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, know, you, you can get creative. You know, put a keychain on it. I don't know something. <laughs> Oh, all right. That got weird really fast. <laughs> Do you think that's what Marcel Duchamp wanted of his work? Listen, you know, <laughs> I think he would be proud of me right now and say, yeah. Make the ceramic go girl. I, I, I think do think so. that that is a copyrighted term, so I do not own the trademark to go girls, or <laughs> and I'm not sponsored by them. I think I hear him <laughs> from beyond the grave. <laughs> oh yes, do is that you? it. <laughs> no, but I love that idea of making non-functional functional wear. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it makes sense to me in my brain, but <laughs> <laughs> my brain is a scary place sometimes. Hence, like this whole discussion of female urinals. <laughs> Well, as we discuss the future of your work and the future of your functional wear, um, I know we talked in at length uh, Mm -hmm. about Hemlock Art Space and Gallery, Mm -hmm. um, but I was saddened to see uh, the recent announcement about the the gallery. Yes. Yes. We're going to be closing at the end of the month. Mm -hmm. Um, So we opened in July. I. It's me. I did it. It's you. I opened in July. um, And... It has been a whirlwind. It has been exciting. And there were ups and there were downs. Um, and over the holiday season, my heart was continuously broken, not being able to spend time with my family. I didn't get to go pumpkin picking. I didn't get to do an official trick or treat. Like, you know, that's my jam. You can't see me right now, but I'm a witchy woman. <laughs> like, I love me some pumpkin spice. I, I all year round people compliment my Halloween costumes. (laughs) Um, And then, you know, the holidays came. Um, That's always a rough time of year for me personally um, because of my dad dying on Christmas Eve. Mm -hmm. You know, that doesn't help. Um, But also it's just, you know, a time where um, for the last several years, I wasn't able to be with my family um, because I was in Missouri Mm -hmm. and I'm home and I can't be with them again because I'm at a gallery, um, which I love, 
but turned more into retail than I anticipated. Mm-hmm. And the holiday season plus retail, I told myself I would never do that again. And here I am yeah. sitting in my own store um, every single weekend because it's it's me, you know, and I had I had a lot of help from um, my family, my sister and my husband, especially mm-hmm. um, helping me um, coming, you know, taking over for a weekend or something so I could, you know, get away. But it, other than that, it's been me. Mm-hmm. All that time in the gallery, just me. Um, so it, it got exhausting. And um, so that's that's a huge reason why I'm stepping back from the space. Mm-hmm. Um, but also because I haven't been able to make art. And that's soul crushing. I mean, it, it's who I am. There was such a, a very distinct decision to follow that passion and be an artist and I gave it up for too long Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know um and I feel like as an artist I've just always sputtered throughout my life like art would come to me and it would be everything and then for whatever reason I had to step back and again I made I made a very clear choice when I opened the gallery that if it wasn't serving me anymore as an artist as a human um I was going to step away. Now, the good thing is, is that um, though I'm stepping away from the physical space, so I'm on 9 North 2nd Street. It's an actual art space. Um, I'm not going anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) So the space will not be Hemlock anymore. I will not be there. But I do intend on doing a lot in the community um, in Easton, um, working with Ace and really kind of reintroducing an underground weird art scene a lowbrow art scene mm-hmm. um and an online presence there is amazing artists in easton there are amazing emerging artists and alternative artists and artists of color and uh queer artists and disabled artists like across the board we have amazing artists in easton mm-hmm. that i am committed to advocating for and hopefully um really boost that presence in the community. I intend on doing online workshops. Um, I intend on doing um, more pop-ups, not only for myself, but again, advocating for other artists. Mm -hmm. And um, I have dreams of doing little, uh, you know, the little free libraries? Yes. Doing those, but little gallery or like art supply exchanges and things like that. So really just kind of single-handedly, not really, I need your help, um, (laughs) creating like this, this idea that Easton can be on the map for art mm-hmm. and restaurants and, mm-hmm. you know, all the really <laughs> great uh, festivals and things we put on. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the help of Easton and Ace and all the artists that I've met, because I, you know, I was new to the area. I threw myself into the art scene. Yeah. I was, I wasn't like, oh, I'm just going to like apply for a show and like go meet people. I just was like, hey, I'm here. Come to me. And all of a sudden, like there's all these people and I'm like in the art scene and it's amazing. And like, I, you know, it was incredibly helpful and support and to have that support, you mm-hmm. know, going up through it. So I know that that support will remain after the physical space is gone because there is a huge passion for, for the arts mm-hmm. all Absolutely. around. Um, but... Um, I will be here for the rest of the month. <laughs> so um, it'll be a few weeks. Uh, the 24th is my official funeral. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll get to that in a second, but I'm going to talk about Andy Tipton, who's Please, in the in yes. the gallery right now. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Right now, I have Andy Tipton, who is a local artist in Easton um, with a show called Black Thumb. And he does these amazing panel um, paintings with hand-illustrated individual patterns um, of flora and fauna. Mm -hmm. And by flora and fauna, I mean like peonies and lanternflies and molars and skulls and narcissists and toucans, like beautiful that almost resemble um, like a wallpaper. And they are astounding. They are beautiful. Um, And I am getting there's a large mural on the wall as well that he did to correspond with the show. And there are an ever rotating amount of small pieces that are available. Um, So like from $30 up to like $350, like these small, beautiful Mm. pieces, like, you know, you can take home a little piece. And then um, for Easton Out Loud, which is on the 22nd, he'll be doing a um, series called Forget-Me-Nots. And basically, um, you'll be able to create and design your own version of a black thumb forget-me-not. So the idea is you'll have a tiny little canvas. You'll get to choose the background color. You'll get to choose the illustration. And he'll basically make you these little custom teeny tiny forget-me-nots. So, um, yeah, just a really fun show. Um, The opening reception was in the beginning of the month and was just, it was amazing. It was It was what I needed to go out with a bang, Mm -hmm. really. Um, But we are also doing on the 15th a um, 420 craft night, which is cool. Very fun. Um, It's going to be super chill. I'm really excited about (laughs) it. We're just going to watch some movies. I'll have Doritos, maybe some, you know, I don't know, Mountain Dew or something. I don't know. (laughs) Um, And um, we'll have a couple of crafts available that... You know, again, just to chill and have fun and hang out and appreciate each other's company and to kind of take a little bit of the taboo out of what it means to um, use marijuana in this day and age, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, taking the taboo out of it because, you know, it it is changing. And I think people are still kind of scared to admit that (laughs) they're, you know, using it, whether it's in a medicinal or recreational uh, way. So um, it's a safe place to come, um, whether you're a mom or a college student or whatever. It's um, it is, well, it's on the fifteenth. So <laughs> sorry you missed it, <laughs> but I'll let you know how it goes. Future me will let you know how it goes. Um, but and where can they find future you? <laughs> oh, www.hemlockart.com. You'll be able to find me on the website um, at uh, on Instagram at underscore hemlockart underscore. That's me. Um, and I'm also on like TikTok and stuff and on like mm. YouTube. Um, I'm not super into TikTok yet because I literally don't have like the brain space to be able to like be on a screen right now. Um, <laughs> Understandable. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's all the places. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure we'll be able to find me other places like walking around Easton with, you know, a walking art show or something. I don't know. Pinned to my back. <laughs> but uh, the funeral is the big going away party. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the funeral is kind of themed. See you in the afterlife, which is the website. 
Um, and I'll be talking about the things that I plan on doing in a little bit more detail and some more specific plans, um, talking about what the website is going to look like and what I'm going to be able to offer. Um, and kind of also just be like, hey, I'm an artist with experience in curation and, um, you know, putting shows up, installation of shows mm -hmm. and, you know, teaching art appreciation and workshops and all kinds of stuff and being like, hey, <laughs> hire me. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and you, the idea of being able to do it on my time, on my terms mm -hmm. um, is like really important to me. Yeah. You know, and be able to actually get out and do stuff and and be able to um, be involved in the community and not have the overhead of a space, you know, mm -hmm. the time and money I put into the physical space right now really hinders me from being able to do more. Mm -hmm. And I want to do more to be able to reach out to um, all artists um, and be, again, be able to advocate for them and highlight them and do what I can um, to really diversify our community um, on a higher level at a more seen place. Mm -hmm. So um, that's the afterlife, but the funeral is going to be a whole lot of fun, <laughs> um, which I guess, I don't know. Do people say that about funerals? The funeral is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kinda, I, I kind of like really appreciate the macabre. So I always, I mean, I went to so many funerals in my lifetime where like eventually it kind of wore off of like the, you know, really taboo about death kind of stuff. Um, but yeah. Funeral garb is encouraged, but not, you know, required. Um, there will be drinks and food and um, live music from um, a friend, Ryan Bradley, who is just so, so cool. Like his guitar, like so good. He does like really <laughs> cool guitar work. Um, and yeah, it's open to the public. It's free. Um, and I'm always interested in seeing new people, um, even if it's the end. You know, <laughs> absolutely. Um, so I'll be there. Um, I imagine my munchkin will be there. It, it's it'll be kid friendly. Sounds so. good. <laughs> Wonderful. And just to reiterate, if yeah. people in the afterlife of Hemlock Art Space and yes. they want to find this, the mm -hmm. website, can you just do it again for me? Sure. It is www.hemlockart.com. Very good. And right now you'll just see some of the final um, gallery shows, the gallery show that's going on, some final events, but it'll be, um, it'll look a little different um, once the space is closed. Um, you'll be able to um, easily find um, upcoming workshops, upcoming events, um, and some other resources. Very good. As well as shop. You can buy things there, too. <laughs> there is an online store um, to which right now you can buy um, some of the things you can find in my shop, but I'll be putting my own work on there as well. So all of the functional wear that I was talking about, these mm -hmm. small pieces, but also larger pieces. I'm going to be doing scrying bowls, um, little mini shrines. Um, I'm going to be doing... Um, my usual vases and cups and jugs and, and bottles, um, rolling trays, just a lot of like really interesting stuff mm -hmm. that isn't necessarily your typical ceramic work, I guess. Like, right. you know, 
there might be a cup or two. <laughs> but um, there's stuff up there now. And I also make curios, curiosities. And again, as a crow, as a mudlarker, I'm finding all kinds of like really weird stuff. So um, those curiosities, I can I tend to turn into art and um, like little mystery bags of weird things. And <laughs> um, yeah, if you're like me and you just like to have weird stuff, let me curate a little box of weird stuff just for you. <laughs> that sounds lovely. <laughs> well, Hannah, thank you so much for joining us of on the course. show today. I really appreciate it. And thank you for making the time and space both now and in your life for all of these artists and all of this of like course. amazing community building that you're doing. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, well, you're welcome. <laughs> And thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. This is Absolutely. fun. I, I feel like a radio star. Like a radio star. <laughs> Thanks, Hannah, for coming in. As you heard earlier in the episode, Hemlock will be closing its brick and mortar location at 9 North 2nd Street in Easton. But this is not the end. Join Hannah in having a funeral for the physical gallery to pave the way for an exciting new afterlife. The funeral will be hosted at the gallery for a fond farewell. Funeral garb is encouraged, but not required. There will be drinks, small bites, and an artsy little gift bag for the first 20 attendants. The funeral itself will be held on the 24th of April from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. at Hemlock Artspace and Gallery. For updates, follow Hemlock on Instagram at Hemlock Artspace. Thanks for tuning in to the Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast, a Steel Pixel original series. Don't forget to like the podcast, leave us a review, and follow us on both social media and streaming services at Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast.